I'm Mackenzie Lewis, a student pharmacist from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hi, I'm Emily Hugh, a student pharmacist from South Haven, Mississippi. Hi, I'm Carlin Johnson, a student pharmacist from Seattle, Washington. In this episode, we talk with Rosemary Duncan, Medication Safety Officer, and the PGY2 Medication Use Safety Residency Program Director, and Jacob Smith, Assistant Director, Medication Safety and Quality at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Hi, I'm Joshua Fleming. And I'm Laurie Fleming. We're from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. Today we're talking about quality in hospital pharmacy practice, defining it, measuring it, reporting it, and taking action to improve it. I'd like to welcome our guests, Rosemary Duncan and Jacob Smith from the Johns Hopkins Hospital. Thank you, Rosemary and Jake, for joining us today from Baltimore. We are excited to chat with you about quality, specifically in the hospital setting. Thanks for having us. Thanks for uh, for having us on. So, Jake, in the last couple of years, we've seen an increased focus on quality metrics and healthcare delivery. These metrics have been included in measuring organizational performance and have recently become tied to payment. Can you tell us more about these metrics and how these new payment models have changed practice in the hospital setting? So, in, in hospitals, quality and regulatory have long been inseparable. Back in 1999, the Institutes of Medicine put out a report that opened, uh, at least from our perspective, our eyes to the real gaps in quality and safety in healthcare. The report was called to air as human and highlighted that uh, up to 100,000 patients might be harmed by preventable medical errors every year. You know, noting that it was only 20 years ago, 19 years ago at this point, we've really only been obsessed with this idea of measuring healthcare since that time. Even so, only since about 2005 have we started talking about putting some sort of incentive behind those measures in the hospital setting. And then not until 2009 and 10, 2009 with the High Tech Act, which brought along meaningful use criteria, and 2010 with the Affordable Care Act, or more commonly known as Obamacare, did these sort of measurement-based systems become more real for us in all of healthcare increasingly in the hospital setting, we started putting dollars next to these performance metrics. So in hospitals, we started with some common agreeable metrics. In fact, they were called core measures, and it was agreement between the Joint Commission and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that these particular set of metrics were high quality, uh, had been extensively vetted, and should be used for common standardization of practices in certain settings. So think about things like, was a patient with heart failure prescribed appropriately an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker upon discharge? Those sorts of binary yes-no metrics. It evolved to include more safety-related metrics. So think of bloodstream infection rates, urinary tract infection rates, bleeds, preventable bleeds. And even further, in more recent years, it's evolved to include more and more metrics like patient experience of care in the hospital setting, the survey that they use is called HCAPS, and there are now community-based, procedural-based surveys as well. And then as we continue to evolve into this sort of quality measurement uh, landscape, we've honed in on more specific process measures, specific care delivery specialties, like how we're delivering pain management, uh, how we're handling antimicrobial stewardship, 
what our sepsis metrics look like. They're all challenges, um, but this is how sort of the federal government is evolving to measure healthcare, and we can expect more. As we've evolved in the payment of quality-based measures in Maryland, we've gone to about half a percent, up to two and a half percent of hospital-based revenue that's at risk every single year. It seems small, but in large organizations, you can be talking about tens of millions of dollars at risk, which can really change your profit margins. And then in our world, uh, what's happening in hospital pharmacy and quality in hospitals in general is you're getting more and more analytic resources, more and more resources to help you capture and understand the information in that most commonly your electronic health record is going to be giving to you. So as we evolve, our, our processes evolve, our workflows evolve, and our payment structures continue to evolve. And I think that this, uh, regardless of what happens in the political environment, will only continue to be the case for hospitals because overall we are showing that we've been able to, the term has been the cost curve. Healthcare costs, hospital costs are not, in, are not decreasing in this country as a result of any change but the rate at which they're increasing has slowed down. And a lot of it could probably be pointed to some of these cost control measures using big data. So Jake, in your response, you mentioned something about HCAP surveys. This is something that we've been working on in our own, own institutions recently. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing with this at Hopkins? Yeah, so, so HCAPs is this measure of patient experience of care. And within that survey, it's 32 questions of patients who are inpatient, go home, they get a survey either via email or in the mail, and it, it asks them questions about how often they were provided certain services. So this is the reason it's not a patient satisfaction survey. Uh, it's because it's more about whether or not patients were provided with specific services. And within this survey, there is a domain on medication communication. How well are you telling patients about the medications they're receiving and the associated purpose of that medication and any side effects that they might experience. And then patients go home and they answer, well, somebody told me about these always, usually, sometimes, or never. And, and for the purposes of getting paid, all the payers care about is the always responses. They want to know the percent of time that patients were always being educated on their medications. Fair enough. So it turns out that those numbers come out to about 80% of the time the average patient reports that they know the purpose and about 50% of the time the patient understands the side effects. Huge gap. And as a department of pharmacy here at Johns Hopkins, we decided that that gap existed because side effects were more complex, patient-specific therapeutic considerations than the common purpose of a medication. It's reasonable to expect most healthcare practitioners to be able to explain to a patient why they're on a certain medication the specific nuances in what they may experience subsequent to that therapy, we believe, is information that our pharmacists should provide to both our nursing staff and directly to the patients. So here we've taken over that measure uh, as a department. We've taken ownership of it. And even within our annual performance evaluations, each of our pharmacists is measured on their relative performance to that goal. What processes did they put in place? Did they provide patient education routinely through some measures that we can capture from our electronic health record. Were they educating their staff via in-services on their unit, their nursing colleagues, their prescriber colleagues? And it allows us to have an open communication about where our opportunities lie uh, and why we might be experiencing better scores in some areas and lagging scores in others. 
Yes, Jake, that's a strategy that others can readily replicate and implement. Now, Rosemary, as Jake discussed, addressing quality is becoming increasingly important as it becomes tied to payment. What are some gaps related to medication safety in the hospital setting? Well, um, I think if we just think about kind of the role I have um, as a med safety officer, your primary responsibility is to investigate voluntary event reports and then dig into those and do the investigations, find the root causes, and like work, work with multidisciplinary teams to implement system changes. And oftentimes, they're very hard to measure. Like, how do you measure the system change if you're relying on a voluntary event report to tell you the issue existed? Um, so you're oftentimes trying to find surrogate measures, um, which I think you could argue some of the core measures are, are like that. Um, I give this drug to prevent this disease, for example. But... Oftentimes, organizations, and, and many publications still do this, they, they print error rates, and they, their, their numerators and denominators are, are false. You don't truly know the rate at which something occurs when you're relying on, on someone to voluntarily report it, which then makes it difficult when you're trying to implement a change because you need to prove your value when you're really basing a lot of your interventions off of maybe even just a few event types. Like you find a trend, you figure out an issue, and you spend months to years trying to fix that issue only to uncover many more in the process. So I think that we really need to continuously emphasize that you cannot rely on event rates to be a indicator for improvement in safety or even worsening safety. Just because you have less events rates does not mean you got safer or vice versa. Um, so I think that that is still a, a trying area. And there's been several publications, really even in the last year, trying to find other ways to show how to measure preventable harm due to medication errors. And it's, it's difficult to say the least. Some actual examples of things that I try to do here, we changed, and many organizations across the country have done this, you've changed the way you scan insulin pens if you use those to administer insulin in the hospital. So you make the barcode be patient-specific, drug-specific, so when the nurse scans it, they know, oh, I'm giving Mr. Smith's pen to Mr. Smith, not Mr. Jones. But how do you know that that's actually preventing patient pen mix-ups? So the fear is you're going to use one pen on multiple patients and potentially transmit a blood-borne pathogen, how do you know you've actually prevented that? Like, I can look at barcode compliance reports, but you could have gave it before you scanned it or you didn't scan it. If you don't tell me it happened, you don't know. So I feel like we, we know there's issues. We recognize um, problems in the med use process, and we come up with solutions that seem relatively robust, but really being able to measure and prove an outcome is very difficult. And so I feel like that is our biggest gap in measuring quality and safety. We can't always measure the exact thing that might make the most, most sense to measure, especially as it relates to safety. It's hard to measure things that don't happen, and it's hard to reliably know that you've captured all of the things that did occur. But what is important and what healthcare is learning from high reliability industries is that once you're sure that there are processes in place which can affect the downstream safety of whatever you're talking about, it's important to get standard systems in place to address the process. And so constantly, Rosemary is leading multidisciplinary groups of people toward agreement on fixing a process. 
But what Rosemary is describing is the enormous amount of lift that goes in to making our system higher quality and safer for our patients. That sounds really difficult, but it sounds like standardization of processes is critical to success. To begin our wrap-up of our discussion today, I have one final question. What are your thoughts about the relationship between quality and the value of care? Well, I think that they are becoming more and more indistinguishable. Quality in healthcare has been leveraged as a, as a term uh, in recent years to mean performance-based reimbursement. And of course, value proposition uh, would include quality in the equation. So from a payer's perspective, we've been pushed in the direction of measurement, call it quality, by virtue of the fact that the way our system is funded has been more closely associated with it. In terms of true value, true value to patients comes when we're harming them less. Uh, We need people. We need people with specific training like Rosemary's, like any medication safety officer. I don't think that that's limited to what our medication use safety residents learn. I think all of the accredited residency programs and still important medication safety related uh, values in our practitioners. And those are the sorts of people who will add value to our patients at the end of the day. So value is entirely determined by the patient. And all we can do is make sure that we are, in fact, delivering patient-centered care. You guys have given us so much to think about today. We appreciate you taking the time to talk about quality-related issues in healthcare and discussing some unique strategies for system improvement. It'll be interesting for us to watch the healthcare landscape evolve as these measures continue to shape the way we care for patients. And I want to sincerely thank you, Rosemary and Jake, for joining us on our show today. We appreciate your sharing your valuable time with us to discuss quality in the hospital setting. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app and tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. Be sure to rate us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like to share about someone who's transforming knowledge into action, send us an email. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit PharmacyCPD.org. That's PharmacyCPD.org. That's PharmacyCPD.org. This episode was conceived and developed by Neil Patel, Megan Wagner, Laurie Fleming, Josh Fleming, Megan Brown, and Stuart Haynes.